Que pasa, Mufasa? Welcome to the Micropreneur Podcast. We've got Paul Austin of Third Wave Psychedelics in the house today. Turn on, tune in, drop out, didn't work. And so when I was thinking about this third wave of psychedelics, I'm like, how can we take the best of the first wave ritual, ceremony, lineage, indigenous, and how do we marry that with the best of the second wave, precision, science, and then how does the third wave integrate those two? I'm a huge fan of this guy, don't let him know. A very cogent and eloquent individual, and the dude knows his way around a dose of LSD. We're gonna talk about his new microdosing book that just came out, as well as the guiding ethos of third wave. And he's gonna drop some entrepreneurial acumen on us. Paul was an early adopter of public-facing psychedelic advocacy, so we're gonna hear about his motivations, and glean some insights from his extremely successful trajectory in this space. All right, as always, thank you for joining us. So let's get down to business. Paul Austin of Third Wave Psychedelics. What's up, brother? Welcome to the Micropreneur Podcast. How are things in your corner of the Microverse today, Paul? I mean, I'm here. I'm here, fanboying for Micropreneur once again. So I just I can't wait to dive in. Things are good. Thanksgiving's around the corner. That means a lot of food, and I'm just looking forward to the next satirical video that 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 you roll out, which very well could be this one. I would not be surprised. This might be it. You pulled that one. <laughs> Right off the bat, let's jump into the new book that you've got out, which I guess is a revision of a previously released book on microdosing. So I want to know who ghost wrote the book and when is the audio version coming out so that I can chop it up and make it seem like you're saying things that you're not saying. So I'm glad you asked that. So it's called Mastering Microdosing, How to Use Subperceptual Psychedelics to Heal Trauma, Improve Performance, and Transform Your Life. It's, it's, it's more or less the third edition. I published an edition in 2016 kind of early, wrote that myself, the entire thing. Second edition, 2018, started to bring in a few folks to help support that. And then now with the third edition, new name and brought in a team called Scribe Media, working on a second book with them as well. And their their process is really great. They do all these interviews up front with me and um, and then they take that. And then I my, my forte is I don't really have the attention span to sit down and write everything. I do write certain things. My forte is much more in the editorial. It's going back with a fine comb. It's making sure the words are as we want it, the, the presentation is as we need it. Audiobook is, I feel like the best way to do an audiobook would be to take a microdose and to go full on like eight hours a day for a week and just get that get that bitch knocked out. We we haven't done it yet. I'm, I'm kind of testing. We, 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 we had our first week launch just last week. We sold about 2,200 copies in the first week, which is solid. I was I was pleased with that number. And I'm curious to see if like an audiobook will help to um, amplify that. I I never do audiobooks. I hate audiobooks. I think audiobooks are the, are the worst. Uh, but a lot of people love audiobooks. So sometimes you just got to give the people what they want. You know, drugs and audiobooks. Well, if you need a silky smooth voice, I've got you. I think I could channel Paul Austin really well. Just take like 700 mics of LSD, hit record and start ripping. Well, let's talk about your early days with third wave psychedelics because you were an early adopter in the psychedelic space, right? A lot of us have written the clout wave that's come over the last year or two. And I was surprised to find out that you've been around since 2016, as you mentioned, and public facing with your advocacy and your education around psychedelics. 
What prompted you to jump into the space so early when it was still largely socially unacceptable to talk about psychedelics and your relationship to psychedelics to the public? So I did a bunch of acid in college, as, as the best of us have. And in those, I mean, I even have the molecule of LSD tattooed on my, my right ankle. That's how committed and dedicated I am. And so after those early LSD experiences, at moderate doses, not microdoses, so anywhere from 200 to 500 micrograms, you know, I had the classic awakening and, you know, very cliche, it changed my life and, and, and all of that. And, and the, the one thing that I came away with from that is to live a conventional life, particularly in my 20s, felt like a waste of space, a waste of energy. So why not dedicate myself to a creative path that will, that will not only help a lot of people, but be very unique uh, in and of itself. And so I was, I was 21 when I moved to Turkey, where I taught English started building out sort of a more online kind of perspective around 23, 24, had a teaching English business online. And then 2015, I'm, I'm, I'm in Budapest, you know, I'm, I'm doing acid again in the hills outside Budapest, high doses. And I'm with a couple friends. We're like, I really think there might be something here. And so in 2015, I bought the domain name thirdwavepsychedelics.com, started publishing content, did a microdosing infographic. And there were like two things that motivated that one, like entrepreneurial, I could, as an entrepreneur, I could see that this would be the way of the future. If I got a head start now, built a brand, I could help to shape the conversation and where it went. But even beyond that, you know, when I think about work, vocation, purpose, you know, what, what, what better way to spend my time and energy in, in life than amplifying the importance of psychedelics within sort of an intentional responsible container. You know, we face this meta crisis, existential, mental uh, work. Um, meaning there's, there's a lot of things within that. And when I looked at psychedelics, I thought, Hey, I think if we can unlock this tool for people to you utilize in a very intentional way, it could actually address a lot of that meta crisis by helping us to quantum leap our consciousness beyond that. And so that was like, and you know, like I, you know, I was just reading the archaic revival by Terrence McKenna last night. And he has a thing in there where he's like, you don't need 50% of people to quote unquote, wake up political revolutions take 10%, right? And so my focus has always been, what's it going to take to get the 10% to have that opening or that awakening to lead to these new systemic changes that are rooted in some of those uh, wisdom or insights that we get in psychedelics. It sounds like we have somewhat parallel paths in that I taught English myself after college over in the Middle East and Saudi Arabia specifically and I'm an ardent traveler. I've been to Turkey several times, been to Budapest, love the bathhouses in Budapest, Sechnini. I didn't trip on acid there, so I might have to put a pin in that and come back and get the complete experience for sure. I'm a big fan, lots of bookstores, lots of bathhouses. So, so I wanna hear about the name Third Wave specifically, because I've heard of Third Wave Coffee, right? It's this idea of craft boutique coffee, where the first wave of coffee, I guess, was when coffee became a global commodity and everybody had access to basic coffee. And then the second wave was Starbucks and Pete's. And now the third wave of coffee is far more boutique and neighborhood, where you've got these baristas whipping up concoctions and fair trade sourced coffee beans from Papua New Guinea and things like that. So in regards to third wave psychedelics, what's the origin story with the name there? I feel like you maybe have done some some background research on this. And if not, I'm, I am very impressed because our, our paths are like aligning. So I was with this German 
this German friend from Berlin and a, and a uh, Russian Jew who was from Cleveland, and we had met in Chiang Mai and hung out in Thailand. And they were visiting, and they were really into coffee, right? So we're going to these third-wave coffee spots in Budapest. This is 2015, so it's just starting to get up and going. In fact, one of the friends, he started a, an app called Third Wave Coffee where you can put in any city in the world, and it'll show you a, a third-wave coffee place. So we're going to these third-wave coffee shops, and we're taking acid, sometimes overlapping with a microdose. And so I think intuitively, as we just started to put this creative intention out into the world, what's going on with psychedelics, a friend that I was with kind of came on this, oh, third wave of psychedelics. And I'm like, this is interesting. I sat with it for like a day. My background, I love history. I study history. In undergrad, I read history all the time. It really informs uh, the way that I approach life, business, psychedelics. And so I started to go, oh, like first wave of psychedelics, indigenous use for thousands of years, right? Ayahuasca in the Amazon, Kaikian in, in ancient Greece, Soma in ancient India, right? We have a long, rich history uh, of, of psychedelic relationship second wave counterculture it's when psychedelics come back onto the scene we're not quite as a culture ready for it way too much acid at once you know timothy leary um turn on tune in drop out didn't work and so when i was thinking about this third wave of psychedelics i'm like how can we take the best of the first wave ritual ceremony uh lineage uh indigenous and how do we marry that with the best of the second wave precision science and acid in particular and then how does the third wave integrate those two and and and, and it, it, there is some overlap then in terms of third wave coffee because when you think about third wave coffee you you are going beyond the industrial so to say you're going to very artisanal is what third wave coffee is and so when i think about the psychedelic landscape personalized is another word that i think might even be, be better as i think about the psychedelic landscape what's emerging is sort of an overlap or intersection between uh psychedelic wellness or psychedelic healthcare and personalized data. And so I really think the future of this third wave of psychedelics is how do we map, you know, those who need want to work with psychedelics and their context and their history and where they're coming from and how do we match them not only with an ideal medicine but also an ideal provider, an ideal set and setting that is custom for them because so much of healthcare uh, has been very like just take a pill, take this one, take this amount if it doesn't work, try this. It's not very custom or artisanal. And I think psychedelics have an, there, there's an opening there to create a very personalized approach to healing and transformation. That makes so much sense. I did not research that actually, but I figured there had to be a connection. Also, I did a lot of psychedelics in college. So for me, seeing what's going on now with psychedelics being an in thing and talked about everywhere, it's almost kind of deja vu because I remember sort of going through these learning experiences and the learning curve of first tapping into psychedelics and the potential that they can offer you personally and perceptions of what they can offer the collective and then seeing them integrated into the tapestry and the culture of our, our college experience. And I went to school in San Francisco, as I often talk about on the podcast, because it largely colored a lot of my early thinking, seminal thinking about psychedelics and was sort of the gateway to my relationship with psychedelics. And I would talk to friends from other colleges around the United States and around the world and be like, oh, you didn't have access to 2CB and DMT first semester freshman year? Okay, so I guess that's not a prototypical everyday college experience. But this concept that I really took with me from my college experience and my intentional use of psychedelics and recreational too, is that you don't have to tune in, turn on, and drop out. 
I never dropped out. I tuned in, I turned on, and then I stayed the course. And I graduated in four years, and I got a job right out of college. I was slinging chai tea in the financial district as part of a startup that actually got featured in Time Magazine and was founded by a former IBM grad. And then after six months of that, playing in bands, I decided I wanted to do something different. I ended up over in Saudi Arabia on a teaching contract that came about from a connection that I had. And then I ended up getting in a long-term relationship with a woman who's now my wife. We started a company together. I was teaching high school in San Diego. So I went on a very traditional path, but had this really robust corpus of psychedelic experience that informed a lot of the way that I approached my life and a lot of the views that I still have. So that's just a little backstory. And I've been creating media and studying media the whole time since the fall of 2007 when I first enrolled at the University of San Francisco and started tapping into this intersection between social media and new media and psychedelics and who the storytellers are in our society, how we arrive at certain views collectively and individually, so on and so forth. So I'm super pumped to be doing this and to be hosting you as well on this podcast today. As far as the microdosing collective is concerned, that's something that you're a founding member of, and I'm pumped about it from where I'm standing. I can attest that you all throw some great parties because I actually jumped over the back fence of the one in Miami that you threw, and I was able to, you know, I was able to have a little bit of that greatness rub off on me, and I was able to blend in a little bit to a certain degree. So, so I've got to hear about from you. What is the Microdosing Collective? Why should people be excited about it? I was I was chatting with Ali Shaper in uh, about a year ago, and Ali is the co-founder of Into the Multiverse and Supermush. And we were at Butcher's Daughter in Venice, and she was like, hey, I really think there's a lot of people who would benefit from legal microdosing supplements. All of the legislation thus far, Oregon, Colorado, and many other states, they're not really focused on microdosing. Because one of the biggest fears, going back to like the 60s and all that, one of the biggest fears is everyone having legal access to psychedelics. And so if we legalize a microdosing supplement, now anyone and everyone can go in and purchase that and work with it. So a lot of the structure they've set up in Oregon and Colorado is, well, you need to have a sitter there with you as you're microdosing, which anyone who has microdosed before knows is somewhat absurd. I mean, the first, if, if you've never done psychedelic and you're microdosing for the first time, to have someone there to support you makes total sense. But after that, you really, the whole point of microdosing is to weave it into your everyday life. And so uh, we linked up with Josh Capel. Josh wrote the legislation for Prop 122 in Colorado. So very experienced lawyer, first worked in the cannabis space and now in the psychedelic space. And then a guy named John Downs, who did a lot of biz dev in the, in the cannabis space. And it's just sort of like we threw a launch event in LA in July. We threw this event in Miami around uh, microdose and the Wonderland Conference. And the focus is create a legal regulated system for over-the-counter microdosing psilocybin supplements and focus on Oregon and Colorado and maybe other jurisdictions that have some level of momentum. And the reason for that is, is it, it's a few reasons. One, this is already going on in the underground. There are a lot of uh, pl places that are opening up shop in Canada and Venice, and there's a, there's a rich underground that's happening. And, and when Oregon legalizes psilocybin, even though microdosing is technically illegal, it will be by, by, and large, by far the most common way that people work with psychedelics. And so there's a huge gap in, in, in legislation right now because the, the way that the vast majority of people are going to work with psychedelics is not being legislated for, which is a huge issue potentially. And so the microdosing collective is really how do we focus on policy? 
to ensure that anyone and everyone, you know, maybe it's a licensure. Uh, we don't quite know what the technicalities of it yet, but they can go into some sort of dispensary. They can go into some sort of pharmacy and they can get legal access to microdosing psilocybin supplements. And that creates a regulatory structure around it and ensures that the medicine is what people say it is. Um, there's some level of third-party testing with it. And it just, and it also incentivizes, you know, there's, for example, Mudwater is a company they're doing 70 to 80 million now in, in, in annual recurring revenue. Eventually they want to roll out something related to microdosing. There are many other companies that are first focusing on functional mushrooms that want to roll out something with microdosing. So we thought, why not create, um, why not create a nonprofit that people, these companies and individuals, founding members can donate into, and then we can collectively do this as a network. So although we are the co-founders, we just brought in an executive director. This really is a mycelial initiative. And to, to ensure that it comes to life, it's going to take, you know, a tribe, a community, not just a handful of us uh, driving the bus. And this segues perfectly into my next question, which you remind me of a psychonaut Gavin Newsom for some reason. <laughs> Likeable, handsome, affluent, very eloquent, very convincing. So I just want to know, is there a future in which Paul Austin runs for the psychedelic governor of California? Yes. However... There's a, there's, a, there's a small asterisk here, Dennis, which is according to my astrology, I am supposed to be building empires until I'm 43. So that means, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like doing my time in the business side, putting in the structure that needs to be put in. And then probably in, and I think a decade is good timing. You know, it's going to take a little bit to get this passed in California for people to start to see the, the relevance and importance of microdosing. I think certainly either California or the state of Washington will be the next state that legalizes psilocybin. I think California, it would be a huge boon to, to the entire state uh, and help get back some of those people who went to Texas and Florida. And I, you know, I've often thought about after, after this sort of entrepreneurial phase of my existence, what's next. And, and one thing that I'm, potentially interested in is, is is politics and i don't i don't fully know what that looks like you know in, in, a, in a decade from now how relevant will the nation state still be how relevant will the state of california still be you know i i have every intention within the next five years of buying land potentially in california but also maybe in costa rica or argentina or budapest or i don't know where yet but land where i can set up my own intentional community that is for third wave where we do retreats and workshops, almost like an Esalen Institute. And so it could very well be that that ambition is just to be sort of the steward of that place rather than the governor, the psychedelic governor of California or the president of whatever else. I, I, I think politics is pretty fucked at this point in time. Psychedelics can help to bring some levity and hopefully to clear the, the space for it to, to actually evolve, because uh, right now it just feels very entrenched, uh, divisive, and othering. And we're going to need some serious psychedelic awakening over the next decade to inform what could be a very positive, you know, catalytic change and even how we approach policy and government and, and people and all those sorts of things. Sure, sure. Yeah, I try to approach everything that I do with a globalized lens. And I've been following the citizenship by investment industry pretty closely over the last few years with this idea being that 
people should have mobility and people should have access to a global plan. And I just, I drew from the game plans of many successful entrepreneurs that I personally have been following for years. The first person I ever heard about who had truly global citizenship is an eccentric techie that heavily influenced me during my college years. He was an early VR pioneer in the 80s and in the 90s sold his first company and cashed out for a handsome sum of money and he became one of those reclusive tech magnets. And, and this guy at the time had citizenship in Tonga where he had a private island and a diplomatic appointment in New Zealand, in Switzerland, and in Canada. And I remember just having my mind blown about how, why about why this person would globalize his citizenship in such a way. And there's a lot of reasons for that that I'm probably not the most qualified person to get into at this moment. But nevertheless, it's something that a lot of people claim will give you an unparalleled degree of freedom, mobility, and opportunity. And as a more tangible example of how that could help in today's world, I have a very good friend from Krasnodar, Russia. And he was an exchange student that lived at my house in 1999. And recently, with the Russian occupation of Ukraine, Putin declared a mandatory military draft for able-bodied young men, which my good friend certainly fits the bill of. And he didn't want any part of that, so he actually crossed the border from Russia to Latvia on foot and flew to Israel and was able to get an Israeli passport by ancestry. And now he's set up there, he's involved in the entrepreneurial ecosystem there, and he's made provisions to bring his wife and his young family over to join him and to essentially live uh, as Russian expats in Israel. And this is happening all over the place. So I'm kind of getting into a tangent here, but it's something that is of great interest to me. I hope that people listening who this resonates with will look deeper into the citizenship by investment industry. So let's bring it back. And, and so let's talk, so let's pivot a little bit from CBI and from psychedelics and talk about music because it's something that we always bring up on the podcast. It's something that drives a lot of my personal psychedelic experiences. And if you look at a lot of traditional lineages and, and ancestral cultures, there's, t there's typically a sound component to a psychedelic experience or to an entheogenic experience. So what kind of musical artists and genres do you personally like to listen to? And if I break into your playlist, what am I liable to find there? And finally, can we look forward to a third wave psychedelics record label or live music experiences at any point in the future? So growing up, I played violin from the age of six to the age of 18, so 11, 12 years. Uh, I picked it up for a year in my 20s, and it's something I want to pick up again. So a lot of my, let's say, musical rooting is in classical violin, Bach, Beethoven, um, Brahms. And so I still, here and there, I go through phases, but listen to quite a bit of, of, of classical music. You know, Bach, Beethoven, and Brahms are all great. Slow, vibe, super good. Another one that I love is Gidge, uh, G-I-D-G-E. Gidge does sort of Swedish ambient music, which is really great on ketamine to go into a super deep space. Who else? Who else? I mean, the Beatles are, are, are phenomenal. It, my tastes are very eclectic. Classical, house, guitar, classic rock. And in terms of a third wave record studio, what your audience can look forward to is this year, not, not next year. So towards end of 2023, we're going to have 
a, a conference. And at that conference, I have yet to go to a, to a psychedelic conference that I'm impressed by. There are some that I would say are reasonably good, like a six out of 10. There haven't been any where I've been really impressed by the level of keynotes, the experiential, and then the DJs and the parties. And so we're going to throw, we're going to throw a conference next year where dope keynotes, great experiential and incredible DJs. And maybe that'll be the birth of, you know, the, the record label that we roll out. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with you in that. I've been to maybe eight of these conferences now, and I've noticed that it's, and it's some, this is something that I've written about as well, and a lot of people in the community seem to agree, seem to agree with me, where it's kind of like we're having an entertainment, a musical, a comedy aspect to the, to the conference circuit would actually punctuate, would actually accentuate and elevate a lot of the more dry clinical panels and data-driven presentations, in my opinion. And I think that we've gotten to a place with psychedelics where with the overt corporatization and politicization of everything that's going on, we're having these very serious, intense conversations all day, every day in a lot of cases. They're just kind of like always there bubbling up to the surface. So I feel that using pop culture, using music, using more more relatable vehicles for a lot of people can help us to maybe tie together some of those more impactful conversations in a way that's not always forcing us to walk on eggshells or yell at each other. So I've only got one more thing that, so I've only got one more question for you today that I want to tap into before we, before we let you go. You've got so much going on, so much you're gearing up for. I'm sure there's a lot going on behind the scenes you can't even talk about. What are some of the things that Third Wave Psychedelics is working on right now that you can share with us and that we can look forward to on the horizon over the next six months to a year or so? So we we have a major <clears throat> overhaul that's going on right now with Third Wave. We've had the same UX for four or five years. And so we're doing a major user experience overhaul. A lot of Third Wave's emphasis up until this point in time has been more educational in terms of like a wiki-like site where you can go to our guides, you can check out our podcast. And it's like, you come, you get your information, you leave. And we're changing that user experience to be much more not, not only about education, but more so about finding and providing. And so our discovery platform for retreats, clinics, therapists, and coaches, is going to be front and center. And with that, we'll roll out some sort of concierge service to help uh, find, to help math essentially any person who comes on the website with uh, a vetted and verified guide, coach, therapist, retreat uh, that is ideal for them. And then we're also working on a private membership community. And so we're going to utilize a platform called Mighty Networks. And so it'll be a private membership community. It'll be free for the general public. And then we'll have a we'll have a provider, specifically a provider uh, membership community that we roll out. And that provider membership community will be a lot of the same providers who are in our directory and discovery platform. So there will be a lot of overlap there. So that that really is third wave. And then in the last year and a half, we've also done a training program. So we're now uh, we have a six month training program for coaches in in performance, leadership, awareness, growth, really non-clinical, non-medical. We bring in a lot of executive coaches, wellness coaches, life coaches, uh, performance coaches. We also have some therapists and MDs and those who are wanting, wanting to expand their repertoire. And so we will be rolling that out under a new brand in March called the Psychedelic Coaching Institute. And the focus of that institute is to develop both training and research at the forefront of psychedelics for the betterment of well people. In terms of how can psychedelics help us to be better leaders, better communicators, have better relationships, uh, really stepping out of the, the pathological medical model 
and looking at a much more sort of expansive and broad perspective around the way that psychedelics can help us to uh, quote unquote live our best lives. Uh, and so that will be coming out in yeah March April. So those are the two big things internally that people can kind of expect to see on the on the horizon. We have a podcast that we publish every week. Uh, we have podcasts coming out with Paul Stamets and Rick Doblin, uh, Hamilton Morris, a number of others. So that's been going on for six years. And then mostly I'm just, I'm thrilled with the success in Colorado. I'm thrilled with the success in Oregon. I really believe that the future of psychedelics is decentralized. I think the FDA approval process, while helpful, will not be the way that the vast majority of humans use psychedelics. And so what Third Wave is preparing for is that decentralized approach and really building out a model, utilizing technology, building relationships with uh, ethical, verified, vetted providers that help to create an all-encompassing ecosystem for the intentional and responsible use of psychedelics. One more question that's percolating on my mind, and it's a broad question to be sure, but I think your experience as an entrepreneur, specifically in the psychedelic space, who's been doing this for a number of years, is extremely valuable. And I'd love for you to share with us, what are some of the entrepreneurial best practices that one can apply in this space? For example, if you're a mushroom cultivator, you've got a business acumen and you've been successful locally or regionally, and you're very committed to taking your mushroom-centric project or your psychedelic entrepreneurship project from the hobbyist sort of side project stage into a more full-time, more robust more competitive force on the market. What are some best practices that you can drop on us for getting out of this regional side hobby mindset and into the long haul entrepreneurial successful mindset? Yeah, I think my first point of advice would would be to get out of a short term mindset. And, and, and that could be any number of ways. It could be mitigating how much VC capital that, that you might take or investment capital in general that you could take. Uh, it could be not expecting to have any sort of major payoff for at least three years. You know, I started third wave over seven years ago and I, 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 had, I had some payoffs about four years in, four to five years in, and now it's really starting to sort of have that payoff entrepreneurially, but it's, it's been a grind at times. Uh, capital has been tight. We haven't raised a lot of investment. I've mostly focused on bootstrapping um, so the way that I've approached it is take care of things in the short term, make sure you're cash flow positive, make sure you're building and creating content or products or services that are of value for others and that actually work. Uh, but root that in a, a, a long-term vision, a 10 to 20, 30 year vision, because this is not, although there, there are hype cycles that will certainly come into the psychedelic space, it is not uh, necessarily a, a hypey area. You know, we've been working with mushrooms for thousands of years. We're just starting to relearn that process to set us up well for the next, you know, seven generations, if you will. So, so patience, don't sacrifice short-term um, gain for long-term vision and build something of, of true value that people want to share with others. And then, you know, the, the way that I've approached it is uh, allow your psychedelic work to inform your approach to the material world. So in a lot of my early psychedelic experiences, I came to recognize the futility of a mindset driven by consumerism and materialism. And so the way that I've been able to bootstrap and keep things growing and evolving for so long, my basic expenses are are, are quite small. I don't spend frivolously on, on much, if anything at all. And I think having that approach and recognizing that wealth is, is much more inclusive than simply financial wealth, uh, that it's about 
social wealth, community wealth, what I call existential wealth. Uh, so even a reframing around the paradigm of wealth, I think is important for entrepreneurs as they, they come into the space. All right. That's the name of the game. Paul Austin of Third Wave Psychedelics. It's been an absolute pleasure hosting you. I'm a big fan of yours. Thank you so much for joining us on the Micropreneur Podcast. You're welcome back anytime. You're always welcome, Dennis. Thank you. And that is a wrap. Thank you for sticking around to the bitter end. It's very sweet of you to commit so thoroughly. Don't be a stranger. Let me know what you thought of this episode. And please consider checking out the substantial backlog while you're at it. You can reach out to me via email, micropreneur at gmail.com. Or hit me on any of the numerous social platforms that I'm currently active on. At Micropreneur Podcast is the handle on Instagram and Twitter. Thank you all very much for sticking around. Have a wonderful day. I'll see you back here next week on the Micropreneur Podcast.